Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 598. His hands clenched into fists, and I reached into my pocket to grip the momet I had made of him two days ago. I felt my stomach clench in fear and fury. Dayton, if you take a single step toward me, I will lay such pain on you that you will scream for me to kill you. I stared him square in the eye. Right now, I am irritated. Do not even think of making me angry. He paused, and I could almost hear him thinking of every story he had ever heard about Taberlin the Great. Fire and lightning. There was a moment of long silence as the two of us stared at each other, unblinking. Luckily, at this point, Tempe returned to camp, breaking the tension. Feeling a little foolish, I went to the embers of the fire to see if I could rekindle it. Dayton stomped into the trees, hopefully in search of wood. At this point, I didn't care if it was Runnel or not. Tempe sat by the side of the dead fire. Perhaps if I hadn't been busy, I might have noticed something odd in his movement. Then again, perhaps not. Even for a semi-educated barbarian such as myself, the moods of the Adem are difficult to read. As I coaxed the fire slowly back to life, I began to regret how I had handled things. That thought alone kept me from lashing out at Dayton when he returned with an armload of wet wood and dropped it at the edge of my newly rebuilt fire, scattering it. Martin came back shortly after I had rebuilt the fire a second time. He settled at the edge of it and spread his hands. His eyes were sunken and dark. Feeling any better? I asked him. Loads. His voice rasped wetly in his chest, sounding worse than it had this morning. I worried about the sound of his breathing, about pneumonia, about fever. I can mix you a tea that'll make your throat a little easier, I suggested without much hope. He'd rejected all my offers of help over the last several days. He hesitated, then nodded. As I was heating the water, he had a fit of violent coughing that lasted nearly a minute. If the rain didn't stop tonight, we would have to head into town and wait for him to recover. I couldn't risk him catching pneumonia or giving away our position to bandit sentries with a coughing fit. I handed him his tea, and Tempe stirred in his seat by the edge of the fire. I killed two men today. There was a long moment of stunned silence. Rain pattered on the ground around us. The fire hissed and spat. What? I asked incredulously. I was attacked by two men behind trees, Tempe said calmly. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Here we go. We're in it now. Oh boy. Time to go. This is what we came here for. <laughs> Got the bandits. Gotta wait for the Get page. <laughs> Theoretically, we don't know it's the bandits till tomorrow's page. Or Who else would it be? You never know. <laughs> it's a different set of bandits. Mm, unrelated bandits. It could be just some unrelated ruffians in the woods. There's a couple of small characterization beats on this page that I quite like. One of them is that Quoth has Dayton's momet in his pocket. And he's had it there ever since he made it two days ago. He's had the, the momets he made on him. Which he has not told us he's never said i was carrying everyone's moments around on me at all times just in case also just in case what well exactly he's a little paranoid just in case he has to kill him just in case he has to defend himself from Dayton stabbing him in the middle of the night 
You know, he's not exactly contributing to an atmosphere of trust. I'm sure Tempe would have something to say about using a momet on someone uh, or making a momet of someone apropos of nothing. That might not be of the Lathani. If being first with the knife is not of the Lathani, being first with the momet surely is not. And then later on at the bottom of the page, Martin Foth has offered him a nice soothing herbal tea and he accepts after not having accepted such offers from Quoth in the past. And I think that if we really want to, we can link that back to something we learned about Dayton earlier when they were first getting to, uh, sorry, about Martin, that we when we were first getting to know them, Martin like boils his water before he drinks it. He's very particular about what he eats and drinks when he's out here. And he kind of scoffs at everyone else for making fun of him. Uh, so I think... This is, you could read this as him kind of giving in on that point because he's so sick that he knows he needs someone's help, even if he's not completely trusting of what other people are going to do. Yeah, he has to start relying on other people a little more than he used to. Or he feels sick enough that the idea that Quoth might feed him dirty water is less bad than the sorry state he's in right now. Yeah, I guess it's a, how could it possibly get worse? Yeah, he has to accept health, uh, help now because it's it's getting worse and worse. It's uh, to, co- to Quoth's credit that he thinks better of how he handled this altercation. I think it would be very easy for Quoth, especially the rather vengeful, self-righteous fellow that we met when he was younger, to just nurse this as a grudge and also to like put Dayton firmly in the box of enemy. But instead, he he starts to rethink it and he starts to think better of it. And then I think by the end of it, he's, you know, the end of this whole sequence, he's on Dayton's good side again, such as it is. Um, I don't think of Dayton as being like an enemy, a negative force in the in the book. If anything, Dayton's become a friend by the end of everything, uh, in my opinion. So I think it, it's to Quoth's credit that he uh, specifically here, he says, um, I began to regret how I had handled things. That thought alone kept me from lashing out at Dayton when he returned with an armload of wet wood and dropped it on the edge of my newly rebuilt fire scattered. That's that's an amount of restraint that I don't think I would have in that situation. If I had come back, the fire's out because my coworkers are too busy like being babies to just freaking make the fire. And then I make the fire and then the dickhead who didn't make the fire shows up and ruins it just when I'm about to get it going again, I would kill him. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't use sympathy to start the fire. I thought for sure this would be the one time when he was like, all right, fine, here we go. And then he'd just do it like nuts to the consequences. He needs a fast fire. Maybe he's like, cause he's already like cold and wet. So maybe he doesn't want to draw on his own body heat or whatever, because he's afraid that he'll, even if he doesn't give himself binders chills, he might like make himself sick. <laughs> Maybe. Why not just draw from uh, draw from Martin? Mm. Martin doesn't need all that heat. He's not going to last anyway. So just uh, you know, can you do that? Can you? I guess you could take someone else's heat to do something. Yeah, I think you could. While I don't disagree that he probably wasn't using sympathy, he's not specifically not using sympathy. They don't. They don't say how he makes the fire. Through that. I think for me, the context clue that says that he's not is that he has to coax it back to life. I think if he was using sympathy, he would, you know, I mean, I guess the other issue is like, he doesn't really have a source of heat to draw on, right? 
he's going to have to make fire to get a source of heat. So maybe he can't, because everything is like cold and wet already, maybe there isn't a convenient source of heat nearby that he can use to, to start the fire. So he has to do it the old fashioned way. Reasonable. Well, I think we've coaxed every last ember out of this page. Perhaps we can read a letter. Millig! This letter is from Joe, who writes on episode 569 on Jax's shadow. Hello, all. I always saw the demon riding Jax's back as the influence of the Cathay. I also have read his influence. I also have read this influence as the reason for Jax's lack of happiness. We will eventually hear Bast describe the Cathay's words as an almost physical attack on the wider world which seems to me to be compatible with the idea of an almost physical presence attaching itself to whatever ill-starred fool has heard the words of the Cathay and lived. Going a few steps further down the road of speculation, I also see Jax as being an heir to the curse of the Cathay, perhaps even as generations worth of curses and influence, as I feel this would be a fitting ancestry for someone who kicked off something called the Creation War and permanently damaged slash shifted the state of the world up to that point. Perhaps I'm overestimating the importance of the Cathay in the broader story. What do you all think? I don't think you can overemphasize the importance of the Cathay. <laughs> yeah, I think the Cathay is extremely important because it is tied up with the, the nature of the creation war. And I think that the fact that Kvothe speaks to the Cathay at all, the fact that it's in the book means that it's important. Um, I think potentially where we are attaching too much significance is to the identity of the Cathay. It might just be like a thing. It might not even be like Selatos trapped in it for his hubris. It might not even be like, there might not even be an identity at all. It might just be like, it's a crazy fact of this world. It's like, I know we talked about Narnia a lot recently, but it's like how Santa Claus shows up to give them all weapons. It's just like, it's a magical thing. There's some magic. There's a cursed uh, being that lives in a tree, uh, whatever. And it, it gives Kvothe some bad advice. Ding dong doodly. Let's move on. Like it, I, I mean, I, lo- I love to speculate as much as anyone, probably more than most people, actually. But I think that where we might be overlooking or over-examining things is the, the Cathay's identity. That said, I do think that the presence of the Cathay is important and what it asks Quoth to do is important. And I do think that the Jack story is full of allegory. I don't think that it's too far gone to expect that there is a Cathay somewhere in the story, whether or not it's like a character like the old man or the tinker or whether it's uh, just kind of the the hame, the shadow's hame, you might say, that falls over Jax <laughs> uh, is, is hard to say. Um, I mean, although they, they do say that Lanara spoke to the Cathay before, uh, before he went to rescue Lyra, right? So, I mean, again, that, that's possible. I think that's a, a decent read, Joe, that the thing that's wrong with Jax is the fact that you know he's he's quote unquote unlucky. He's he's everything about him is misfortune, and that's how the Cathay is described, or at least that's how those who interact with the Cathay is described. You may have noticed that I've started to say Cathay instead of Cathaya. Uh, to my chagrin, I have in fact settled on the pronunciation as being Cathay. Um, it just seems to it's a bit more of a Cathonic word. It seems to have a bit more of a like. It sounds more like a word that someone would make up rather than a word that someone is misreading. So even though I have always read Cathaya on the page and I said Cathaya for a long time, uh, I have settled on the idea that it is in fact pronounced Cathay. Mm. I know that Rothfuss has said many times that there are no incorrect pronunciations, so I don't mean anything by this, but if anyone's wondering at the the sudden change in my pronunciation of that 
that word. I have after much soul searching. I'm going to swap back and forth intermittently as I please. I have no preference at the moment, but I might tomorrow. <laughs> but we'll find uh, out what we'll Jordana's preference is. Oh, <laughs> on tomorrow's, on tomorrow's page. page of the wind. wind. Same hat. <laughs>